Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us. A Reason for Hope, in case it is your first time, is an hour-long live broadcast. We're streaming live on multiple online platforms platforms that are as easy for you to say that I'll go over in just a moment. And it's all about your questions on the Bible. Um, if you have questions, maybe a verse or passage of scripture that you've read and would like it explained a bit more, maybe even something you're going through, you like a biblical perspective, what does God say? About different lifestyles and choices and directions in our life what does God say about salvation and um, uh, the universe and everything any question that you have any <laughs> honest question we are glad to receive those questions through our online platforms and uh, with the use of God's Word the Bible answer those questions for you so that's what we're all about here for the next hour my name is Dave Robson and I'm your host today I'll be on all those platforms with you as your questions come in I'll be going over different ways that you can join us in just a moment, but allow me to introduce our guest today. We have uh, Pastor Scott Richards. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing today? That's me. I'm doing great. Good. Lots of exciting things to talk about. Yeah, you often give us a bit of an update of things going on in the world. And of course, there's lots going on to talk about. Yeah, for and, sure. and certainly your questions are exciting to talk about. Yep. Uh, we definitely want to get to those, but lots of things to keep you updated on. Great. Well, we'll come back to you in a moment for that. Also, Pastor Sean Richards over here as well. How are you doing today, sir? Listening alongside you. I'll provide comments where appropriate. All right. <laughs> good. That's good. That's good. Where appropriate. Where appropriate, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, well, once again, as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope, it's a live broadcast. We uh, we stream live Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona. We're based at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Um, it's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here. If you are in um, the Tucson area looking for somewhere to worship, somewhere to get in the Word, then uh, you're more than welcome to come and join us. If you go to calvarychristianfellowship.com, you'll find more information there. But we have Sunday services. We have a Wednesday evening service. Um, we stream those live as well. But again, if you're in the Tucson area and you'd like to come along live, you are more than welcome to do that. At calvarychristianfellowship.com, you'll find more information. And that's also a great uh, home base for you to watch this show live. If you go to that Watch Live tab right there, it will take you to our live page. Or if you type in ccftucson.online.church straight into your browser, it will take you to the same place as well. As we are live right now, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username and then uh, send your question in through the chat function. I'll be right there with you as well. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. So you can see what we have coming up and join us for one of those as well. And that's a great link to uh, share as well if you would like to. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash ccftucson or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson. We are streaming live there. That's another way you can send in your question on the chat that's attached to the video. Um, we'd appreciate it if you'd like and share as we um, you know, reach out with this ministry. We'd love to reach as many as we can. So if you've been blessed, then pass it on. That would be great. We have an app for your mobile device as well. Just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. And you can watch us on your mobile device wherever you are. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have those devices, uh, you can watch us on your big screen. Again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship in your channel uh, channel store and add us as a channel on those devices. We're live on YouTube. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube. Um, again, we'd appreciate it if you would like and subscribe and click on the notification bell if you would like. Then you get a little prompt when we are live. It's a good place for archives as well. Anytime we've been live, it will archive there for you under that live tab. 
So if you'd like to recap on a question that we covered for your own study or you missed the show or even our services there at Calvary Christian Fellowship are there as well. So uh, a reason for hope on YouTube. Uh, Pastor Scott's on uh, Twitter. If you're on the Twitter platform, Scott R4H, as, he, as we mentioned, uh, he often gives an update of things going on in the world. News articles, of course, so much um, Israel and the Middle East. I'm sure Twitter is absolutely Twittering with information. Um, so that's probably the, the most direct way to get updates from him there on Twitter, Scott R4H. Follow along if you're on that platform. We're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post video content there. So if you're on Rumble, a reason for Hope Bible Q&A, you'll find us there. And then questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to send us uh, your question there. We have a couple in our email box already for today. And if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another radio affiliate, we're glad that you're tuning in. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. Keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you, but uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us an email, send us your question when it's safe to do so, and of course we'll get to that on our next show, and then I guess you'll hear it on the show after that. It's a whole you know, scientific process. But uh, however you're joining us, we're glad you're there. Send your questions in, get them in early if you would. I know we often run out of time, so we appreciate you hanging in there with us, and we will get to as many questions today as we possibly can. But before we go any further, we would certainly love to pause and pray and ask for the Lord to speak and guide us. We know we're handling His His truth, His word, not our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. So we certainly would like to pray. Yeah, Pastor absolutely. Scott, would you like to? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity before we go any farther to come into your presence. And Lord, uh, just wonderful to take a moment and just breathe in your goodness, Lord, to know your promises. You'll never leave us and never forsake us, Lord, the promise that you sent the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us into all truth. Uh, Lord, we look forward to that journey of discovery we're going to be on today. I pray that it would be miraculous, Lord. I pray that the scriptures that we discuss, the things uh, that we explain, the, the questions we answer, uh, would uh, allow your word to find fertile soil in the hearts of the people that are tuning in and uh, that lives be changed as a result. Thank you, Lord, that in this uh, crazy world where so many people are are so divided and uh, even distraught. We have a place of peace where we can go, and that place is your presence. Surround us with your presence now. Minister to your people through your word mm. and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. to that. Well, what, uh, what would you like to share with us today? Scott? Well, what's not going on in the world yeah. these days? Uh, just a few updates for you that we were able to uh, get before we went on the air. Uh, regarding the uh, conflict uh, going on between uh, Israel and uh, the terrorists in Hamas. If you think that uh, sounds like I've put my cards on the table where I stand, you're absolutely correct. A uh, number of different things have happened. Apparently there is a huge explosion that has taken place in central Gaza City right before airtime. Uh, we don't know if, is if Israel was able to uh, target and uh, blow up a large uh, cache of uh, terrorist munitions or what has happened there, but we will keep our, our eyes on that particular developing story. Uh, to the north, uh, the IDF uh, warplanes have engaged in Hezbollah targets in Lebanon, but there's an interesting development that is happening in that region that might foreshadow uh, what may be going on uh, this weekend. As you know, uh, Israel has uh, postponed their offensive into Gaza City. Uh, there have been a number of articles uh, that have been uh, running on major news sites saying that they are doing this 
to allow the United States time to uh, get their uh, support uh, uh, systems into uh, full position. Uh, that seems to be one of the reasons. The other reason is obviously there are a huge amount of hostages uh, that have been taken and are being held in Gaza City by Hamas. Uh, very interesting, uh, the Reuters News Service reports that out of the 220 abductees, uh, 138 of the 220 are holders of foreign passports from 25 different countries. The vast majority of them are from Thailand, believe it or not. I wonder what are people from Thailand doing in that area. Well, people from Thailand regularly go to the Middle East to uh, serve as day workers, if you will, uh, much like we see uh, the, the people from Mexico coming here and uh, working in the United States. Similar setup in that neck of the woods. Fifty-four of them got in harm's way and are being held captive there. Twelve Americans are among those still being held hostage. Interestingly, six Russians uh, are being held hostage as we speak at that at this particular time. Uh, you know, the uh, the news uh, goes on. A couple things that uh, our country has uh, gotten involved with that have, um, in a sense, uh, well, muddied the waters a bit. Uh, Joe Biden has said that uh, the uh, developments here have called for a two-state solution, that that is the next step in this process. Well, there's some serious problems with that. A two-state solution would, by definition, uh, empower the Palestinian Authority, uh, which exists on the West Bank territories in Israel, to be that Palestinian state. It is currently ruled by a fellow by the name of Mahmoud Abbas. He is also known as Abu Mazen, which is his uh, nom de guerre, if you will, his uh, warrior name. Uh, the problem is uh, Abbas has overstayed his uh, welcome as far as term limits on being the Palestinian prime minister by approximately 13 years. 78% of Palestinians in a survey that was done this weekend want Abbas to resign. And over 60% of those in the West Bank uh, support war with Israel. This is according to an article that was run on the French news site, French Channel 24. Uh, so uh, creating a Palestinian state uh, would have the rough equivalence of uh, basically moving Gaza right next door uh, to Israel. I imagine that would save on commuting time, but I'm not sure that that would make this bad situation better. Uh, the other thing that uh, the United States uh, State Department has said that is uh, being called into question is uh, the idea that Iran is the one directly in charge and pulling the strings. Now, we've heard mixed uh, signals along this line, but the latest that we have heard is that there is no smoking gun, if you will, in this, uh, this particular conflict, linking uh, Iran to uh, the goings-on that are happening uh, in the region. Well, uh, an article uh, from the uh, Wall Street Journal, believe it or not, uh, links at least 500 Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad terrorists with a group that received specialized training from the Iranian Republican Guard Corps' Quds Force just about a month before the deadly October 7th massacre. Uh, the terrorists were trained by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard's elite force in September, citing pe people familiar with the intelligence related to the assault. 
Several high-profile Palestinian and Iranian leaders reportedly attended the training uh, drills, including the Quds Force chief Ismail Kayani. Uh, more than 1,400 uh, Israelis and foreign nationals were killed uh, by this mass infiltration that happened on October 7th. Iran, uh, for their uh, lights, has warned of a shockwave if uh, Israel does, in fact, uh, send their ground forces into Gaza. Uh, they uh, said uh, that, uh, according to their deputy chief of the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, he earlier said today that they would launch a missile at the Israeli city of Haifa from Iran without hesitation if such a thing took place. Now, another interesting development is that uh, apparently north of Israel, uh, we've told you a little bit about the Hezbollah terrorist group, which is far uh, more sophisticated, far better equipped, over 250,000 rockets at their disposal, many of them uh, guided missiles as opposed to uh, the Hamas missiles where they shoot them in the air and where they land they know not where, hence the destruction of the parking lot by the hospital right. that uh, created all the dust up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it seems that Iran wants to guard Hezbollah as much as possible. If Hezbollah is in fact wiped out uh, by Israel, that would be a big blow to Iran's interest in the region. So what are they doing? Well, strategically now, they are shifting uh, Syrian army units, uh, some Hezbollah, but uh, some uh, Iranian uh, Republican Guard units over into the uh, area of southern Syria, away from Lebanon. It seems like this is a gathering point for them. In fact, uh, one uh, uh, reinforced position in this particular area is less than uh, 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles from the Israeli border. Uh, if uh, the Syrian Golan units are taken out, it's less costly to Iran uh, than a full-on encounter with Hezbollah. So it does seem like they're jockeying for position. Uh, how many more days till an invasion of Gaza? We really don't know. Uh, an awful lot of back-channel things are happening here. But uh, another uh, really interesting development that took place yesterday, we didn't have a chance to talk about it much on the program, but uh, the uh, head of uh, the UN, the UN Secretary General, a man by the name of Antonio Guterres, uh, was called uh, on the carpet by Israel for making probably what I would call the mother of all moral equivalence statements between Hamas and Israel. Mm -hmm. He said it is important to recognize that the attacks on by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum, and he added the Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. Well, uh, immediately, uh, the foreign minister of Israel, Eli Cohen, uh, called on Gutierrez to resign for such outrageous remarks. He said the secretary general once again distorts reality. He clearly said yesterday that the massacre and murder spree by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. Every person understands and understood very well the meaning of the words uh, that the guilt of Israel for the action of Hamas, or at very least a show of understanding and justification of the Secretary General for the massacre. A Secretary General does not understand the murder of innocents, can have no justification and no context uh, for remarks, and such a person cannot be the Secretary General 
of the UN. It is sad that this man who heads the UN is supposed to fight terrorism and atrocities. I call on him to resign again. These are Cohen's remarks today. Israel will work to convey a clear message to the UN and to its leader. We will not accept the continuation of bias and hatred towards Israel and the body he heads. Uh, the brutality of the attack uh, where victims were burned alive and dismembered has prompted comparison to the Holocaust. So a uh, lot going on there. Gutierrez has indicated he will not step down. Uh, what Israel does uh, in light of all of this is uh, going to be a very interesting development indeed. Mm. One other thing we wanted to pass along to you that was fascinating. Just uh, one more thing. Yeah, just, just one more thing. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, a uh, Harvard-Harris poll has uh, really created quite a stir in the news in that uh, it's asked some questions of, uh, of a number of different uh, segments of the population. Uh, and uh, the answers to these questions have certainly uh, created quite a bit of controversy. For instance, one of the questions uh, was this, do you think that the Hamas killing of 1,200 Israeli citizens uh, uh, civilians in Israel can be justified by the grievance of Palestinians or is not justified. The overall uh, response to this was 76% said that it cannot be justified. However, when we break these results down by age group, those in the 18 to 24 age group uh, said this, uh, 49% said that Hamas's killing of 1,200 Israeli citizens, the brutalities involved, could not be justified. 51% said they could be justified. Mm. So that is uh, a very stunning uh, set of conclusions on our uh, Twitter feed, Scott R for H at twitter.com. We talk a little bit more about the results of that survey. But I think it's very, very plain that that particular age group is probably more likely than any other to be college age at this point. And uh, the uh, basic uh, message that has been sent out, the majority of secular universities in academia has been very, very pro-Hamas. Mm. So much so that right before airtime uh, at a um, art college in uh, the city of New York, fairly prestigious institution. Uh, a number of Jews were herded into a library and uh, told to lock the doors because the pro-Palestinian demonstrators were after them. They locked the doors, the, uh, the uh, library doors were pounded on by the pro-Hamas demonstrators. Uh, the group of Jews that were uh, hiding and sequestered in this area were eventually, believe it or not, led out through a maintenance tunnel that went under the library in order to guarantee their safety. That's right here in the good old U.S. of A. Wow. So uh, battle for the hearts and minds, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing, I think, uh, the, the lines of demarcation between flat-out good and evil becoming more and more present and, and more and more powerful each and every day. Uh, we need to realize that, like the Apostle Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds and every proud argument that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Yeah. I really believe that uh, the battle going on here is twofold. It is a battle not only that Israel is going to have to fight against uh, these forces of Holocaust-level wickedness yeah. in a physical sense, but there is a greater battle that is going on 
for the hearts and minds of people, particularly mm. for young people. Right. And uh, talk about uh, a call to earnestly contend for the faith and uh, let people know that there is an alternative to moral equivalence and, well, you know, whatever floats your boat and uh, I'm going to follow the lemmings and, and uh, whatever demonstration is larger, I'm going to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we've really got to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, for sure. We need to be praying that the people in Palestine are reached with the love and light of Jesus Christ. But we also need to be praying for our own nation and that uh, born-again Christians with the, the message of how to have a living relationship with Jesus uh, would uh, get off the sidelines and yeah. uh, become more active in terms of sharing our faith. Yeah, absolutely, as we're called to do. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for that update. Wow. Um, we had a couple of questions from Casey come in through um, our email address, uh, uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com. I'll start with her second one. It was actually from her husband. He asked, um, if there was ever a time in your life prior to now that you thought we were getting so close to the return of Jesus. I mean, are these things hinting at the nearness of his coming? Obviously, we don't know the day or the hour, but... Not was... these things, no more than any other thing than the fact we're one day closer. But when people, and this is why we caution from newspaper eschatology, the mindset that anything to do with the Middle East is a fulfillment of prophecy, no, it's not true. Even not necessarily any activity done by Israel is a fulfillment of prophecy. That's simply not true. But our eyes are on Israel with an open Bible and asking what is being done specifically. That's why at the start of this long chain of necessary prophecy updates, when we heard that if Iran intervenes in the response to Hamas's acts of terrorism and brutality, that they would destroy Damascus. That's straight out of the book of Isaiah. That's when we pay attention. That's when we realize now we're starting to see events that could be taking place during the tribulation. And if the tribulation's close, if not near, and I'm here, right. why is the distance between the two getting shorter? That's our rationale. So make sure that, again, you hear Israel in the news, that's not prophecy. If something happens in the news regarding Israel, the Temple Mount, specifically Jerusalem, although in the Temple Mount, I think that's a bit redundant, then open your Bible and ask, what is going on? What does Scripture say? What is actually being prophesied? And under the assumption that you aren't fully handed over to cynicism and say, ah, it'll all pan out in the end, that's where we look to and say, oh, that's a fulfillment of prophecy, because a prophecy is actually being made. We're not reading into the text what we want to think, which is that the Lord is coming soon. We can have Titus 2 for that. But the point of emphasis needs to be built yeah. on that fact, that what Scripture actually says is being fulfilled, not that we want it to say something because we're getting tired of being here. Full sympathy, but that's yeah. the reason why. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you, I, you know, there have been some, uh, and I think this uh, dovetails nicely with what you're saying, Sean. Uh, I can remember not long after I got saved, uh, the uh, Yom Kippur War uh, took place in Israel. And uh, mm -hmm. we really came pretty close yeah. to an all-out uh, nuclear war with Russia. I remember uh, because of uh, the tensions in the Middle East, uh, in California, they didn't go on daylight savings time, so it was mm -hmm. really, really dark <laughs> when yeah. when uh, our alarm would go off in the morning. My brother and I shared a room with bunk beds, and and uh, I remember the alarm going off and uh, hearing these words, uh, U.S. forces on standby nuclear alert. This is KFI News, <coughs> which is quite a way to 
start your morning. Yes, well, for a child. Well, what was happening was uh, the, uh, the nations around Israel had uh, succeeded in a surprise attack against them. They uh, really came close to the edge of going out at one point. If God had not supernaturally intervened, I believe there would not still be in Israel today. Uh, the uh, leadership of Israel at that time even discussed what they called the Samson alternative. That was to take out their enemies with them by launching their nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was that close. Well, but then the tide turned, and it turned massively. Uh, the Israelis got the upper hand, uh, drove uh, Egyptian forces uh, back uh, across uh, the Israeli uh, border and had trapped uh, the major part of Egypt's army in uh, the Sinai Peninsula. Their backs were literally to the waters of the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Uh, Israel was getting ready to take out uh, the uh, remaining forces of Egypt at that time. And uh, apparently Leonid Brezhnev got on the phone to Richard Nixon on the red phone and said, if you don't call Israel off, uh, we're going to blow the Sixth Fleet out of the Mediterranean Sea. Mm at which point uh, we went to, you've heard of DEFCON before, if you ever saw the movie War Games, you know what that's yep. all about. I believe we got to DEFCON 2 at exactly. that point, which is the next step before you actually launch before the nukes. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I heard that, yeah. you know, it was like right after I had read my first uh, book on prophecy, The Late Great Planet Earth, and boy, I thought, man, Rapture this City, this yeah. is it. Uh, but it wasn't, uh, you know, again, I wasn't sophisticated enough to know that there were uh, a number of things that need to happen. And, uh, you know, when I hear uh, commentators throwing around the term Armageddon, oh, we're heading for Armageddon. Yeah. Um, Tucker Carlson was introduced, uh, was interviewing a su supposed expert, a military expert on why we shouldn't get involved uh, and support Israel or be a part of all this. He says, it's going to lead to Armageddon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I understand that's shorthand for World War III or nuclear war or whatever you want to say. Yeah. But, you know, when people throw that around, it just tells me they don't understand uh, what the Battle of Armageddon is, uh, where it happens in terms of the tribulation period. They just have probably never cracked a Bible in their life. It's almost as irritating to me to hear the term Armageddon thrown around in that context as when I hear somebody says, well, you know, it's in the book of Revelations. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. as our good friend, Javern McGee, the late great Bible teacher, used to say, I don't know any book of Revelations. There's only one revelation in the Bible. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Which is given to us in the first verse. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've got to be careful, uh, as you mentioned, Sean, of kind of getting into chicken littleism. You know, the sky is falling. Uh, wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, you better believe it. Yeah. Uh, involving Israel, no doubt. Uh, could this thing, you know, spin out of control and uh, go into regional or even uh, another uh, world war even before the tribulation period? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's there, the, the, the Bible focuses in on the fate of Israel. We do know some things. We do know that Israel will be around for the tribulation period. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. We do know that the nations of the world aren't going to like Israel any better than they do now and probably hate them a lot worse yeah. between now and then. We do know that nations like Russia and Iran and Libya and Turkey are going to be around for the tribulation period. 
So I believe they're going to be part of the Gog and Magog invasion prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we do know these things, and we do know that the world is not going to come to an end uh, one second sooner than God's plan for this world will allow it. And when I say come to an end, what I mean is under current management. Yeah. That Jesus is going to come back at the Battle of Armageddon when the nations of the world are at the edge of destroying each other, and uh, the Antichrist is going to say, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, we've got all one, one thing we can agree on. We don't want him back running the show. Yeah. And so they're going to all agree to try to fight Jesus. They're going to say, uh, one, no, you won't. And Jesus is going to say, one, yes, I will. And um, he's going to set up his kingdom when he returns. So yeah. we do know these things. And if we do know these things, then we're not going to be, you know, again, disturbed or, or quickly moved aside like Paul warned the Thessalonians in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2. Uh, when we uh, hear things about, well, the day of the Lord's already started, and uh, oh yeah, this is Armageddon and so forth. So yeah, yeah um, I have a weird feeling, I will confess this, that um, the coming of the Lord could really be a lot closer than any of us think. Mm. But that's just a feeling. Yeah. Uh, your mileage may vary. Uh, I do not claim prophet status on any of these things. Yeah. But I do know that Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your salvation draws near. Yeah. You know, so I, I think if we're doing prophecy right, mm -hmm. here's the, the, the real watchword. Are we looking up? Yeah. Are we looking for Jesus? We're not looking yeah. for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the Battle of Armageddon. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Right. And I think if we keep that perspective, we're going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah, would, would you agree that is a, a biblical, I mean, even from when the New Testament was written, it was, we're in the end times, like you say, look up for the glorious appearing, like we should right. be, regardless of how close or not close, it shouldn't really change the way we live today, we should be living like the time is short, right? Yeah, well, and... <laughs> Making and the most of that and, time. And as we often mention in here, in our individual lives, the time is really short yeah, that's true. when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I often say, you know, I'm 65, my mailbox is stuffed with things from social security and medicare and <laughs> yeah. all these things uh i never thought man i, I can remember a time in my life when uh, some guy died in his 30s and I thought, oh well at least he lived a good long life um things are real different now yeah. you know i mean and and you know i always use this analogy say i live another 30 years the ripe old age of 95 right i i mean living to be 95 that's a pretty good haul yeah you know uh but you know, if I do understand something, for me personally, I'm going to see Jesus within 30 years. Right. Either he's coming for me or I'm going to him. But yeah. either way, I'm going to see Jesus. So I might as well live like it. Yeah. I mean, that just seems logical to me. Yeah. And uh, boy, I'll, I'll tell you, they say that two people every second die mm. on planet Earth. Mm. Two people every second. Wow. And I guarantee you, the vast majority of them never thought their number was up when they left this world. Right. So it's good to be ready. Eternity, as an old German proverb puts it, is a long bargain. Mm -hmm. So be ready to meet your maker, and uh, you can be, simply by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, in the fact that he loves you, that he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, that uh, he will forgive our sins, come into our life, make us a brand new person, if we will simply put our faith and our trust in him. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is that simple. But if you've never made that conscious decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never asked him to come into your life, 
asked him to forgive your sins, be willing to turn from trusting yourself to putting your trust in him. Today is the day, now is the time. I would highly recommend, just in the privacy of your heart, you're listening to this broadcast. Don't wait to go to church. Don't wait to get in the right mood. You know, don't wait to go up on Mount Lemon and you know be out there in the great uh, beyond. Uh, just receive Jesus, your Savior. Put your trust in Him. And Jesus promised that the one who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. He said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me." God will give you personal a personal relationship with Him, uh, intimate fellowship with Him a love that will never fail you or forsake you, but uh, you gotta ask. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So receive him today, and if uh, you have, uh, we'd love to get a package of information in your hands. It can help you get going and growing your walk with God. Uh, Just uh, text us or uh, send us uh, a line on one of our internet platforms, uh, and we'll be happy to get that into your hands. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amen to all that. Well, Casey's other question, which I I think you may have been referring to, um, he said, my husband has a question that I don't know how to answer. He was wondering if the Six-Day War, Six-Day War in 1967, in your opinion, has anything to do with biblical prophecy, specifically Psalm 83, and what you were teaching on Sunday. He mentioned the nations involved with the ones mentioned Sunday plus some. Was that what you were referring to a moment ago with that war? No, okay. No, no, no. Uh, In fact, uh, we, we do not see the 60s, and then the question gets asked. We were talking about Psalm 83, this uh, crescent, if you will, if you'll pardon the expression, of uh, Islamic-oriented nations that would surround Israel and attack them with the idea of wiping out Israel, their name might be remembered no more. And they say, well, wouldn't that be the 67 war? No, it would not in the sense that Lebanon did not get involved with the 67 war. And Tyre is specifically mm. mentioned as one of those nations. Uh, Assyria did not get involved in the 67 war. At that time, Iran was run by the Shah of Iran and was a stalwart ally of Israel. So the nations mentioned in that just don't quite add up. They've never added up in Israel's history. That's why we believe that it is something uh, yet ahead. And when we talk about, uh, you know, even Psalm 83 being fulfilled in our day, we made this, try to make this very clear in our study on Sunday, it could, but the big piece of the puzzle is what is Jordan going to do? Because without Jordan joining with, say, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon and the Syrians up north and uh, the, uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and so forth, without Jordan joining in to be a piece of that puzzle, then some of the key people groups that are involved there uh, simply won't be a part of things. Mm-hmm. So it will be very interesting to see if Jordan jumps in. If not, uh, we're just going to have to uh, wait on that for some later time. No telling in God's timeline when that uh, study would happen. So, Gotcha. Great. Yeah. Well, Casey, thank you for being a regular on the show and for your questions. Hope that helps you and your husband out as well. Um, question uh, from someone in Ukraine, actually, uh, Heziki. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, but um, they ask, I heard a prophet say if uh, Putin Putin dies it will bring the peace of Israel if he lives war will take place what are your thoughts on that false prophecy but I don't say that out of hand Uh, we know certain things about how Israel will come to peace and it will not be through the death of even a former KGB dictator like Vladimir Putin Uh, for those of you aren't aware the uh, poor old man suffered a heart attack very recently allegedly yeah no one's really reporting on it but this is the weirdest (laughs) 
major story I've ever heard in my life. You would think that would be a big story, right? Someone finding Putin in his bedroom, face down, yeah. cardiac arrest. Suddenly <laughs> it's like, uh, well, Kremlin is uh, saying no, but nobody's seen Putin. So, And the whole point behind that is, of course, half of war is based off of misdirection and misinformation. Even Muhammad acknowledged that in Islam's primary sources. He said war is deceit. So uh, whether this is something that Ukraine's trying to use to disorganize Russia or not, we don't know. The whole point and emphasis is what do we know from Scripture is going to result in peace coming to Israel? Well, there's going to be two venues. It will first be heralded by a seven-year peace treaty that will be made with Israel, according to the books of Daniel and Zechariah, that will be a covenant with death, according to the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. This agreement will be a political one, not the offshoot or the, uh, I guess, consequence of a death of a leader that has no affiliation with Israel, at least not directly. Now, we compare these claims, and like any other prophecy, which will tie into something we'll probably deal with here in a minute as well, when anyone says, thus saith the Lord, the first two steps need to be to hear them out. Notice I said that, not to dismiss them out of hand. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, we are told explicitly not to despise prophecies. Prophecy meaning someone who speaks as a spokesman for God, someone who shares God's word. And if in this case it is a prediction of the future, it is heralding the coming of Jesus, I'll at least hear them out. But then when I hear them out, I open my Bible and ask two questions. Does this affirm what we already know? And does it conflict with things that we already know? If the former, then by all means, we didn't necessarily need to hear it, but it might be a further clarification of detail. We call that a good Bible study, so right. drawing into current events and saying, look, this is where it is in Scripture. But if it's in conflict with Scripture, that's what we're talking about when we not only say newspaper eschatology, but outright false prophecy, lying in the name of God. Now, of all the things you want to be called in Christian circles, three things would note as a tie for the bottom. There's a hireling, <laughs> which is a note uh, from the Gospel of John. Uh, Pastor Romain would refer to those people who would use the people of God rather than serve the people of God. Right. A false prophet, someone who would mishandle and misrepresent God's Word, and then, of course, a son of Satan. But I think that's self-explanatory in fitting those two together. So when we're talking about, and there's other ways of phrasing it, it's of course, son of Belial, son of worthlessness. But the point being made is this. If someone, even in the name of God, calls themselves a prophet, that on its own is a red flag, because with that comes an expectation of performing miracles. We talked about it a bit yesterday. Just to be brief, when God revealed things in his word, he always expected you to trust it by backing up those words with deeds. That's why miracles tended to be sporadic throughout Jewish history. When the records came, it was always when God was speaking something new. Reasons to trust him, faith, that's what that means, trust with reason. So if that's then the case, and we take a step back and ask, someone saying something in the name of God, someone even makes a prediction in the name of God. Dare I say it? Someone makes a prediction, and it's just vague enough that they can say it was fulfilled. Mm -hmm. What's the point? Is it to verify God's word, or is it to show that their word is God's? There is a difference. 
And if someone's trying to build themselves up, that is no less a false prophet than someone who is misrepresenting what he's already spoken. So, again, all sympathy to someone who wants to see Israel in a state of peace, but that's not going to happen because of what we're told. And if you want to spare yourself disappointment, then line yourself up with what we know is going to happen, what we have reason to trust is going to happen in Scripture rather than I'd hesitate to say, but maybe even well-intentioned people who are claiming things that God never actually said. Mm. Yeah, um, very easy to say, uh, the Lord told me, or thus saith the Lord. Yeah. But boy, when you do that, you better be awfully sure right. that what you're saying is true yeah. uh, and uh, you know, is, is verified by the Scripture. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I would really encourage you don't fall for sometimes the weasel words that people will try to uh, throw out uh, if their supposed prophecy doesn't come to pass. I remember uh, during the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, this couple got a lot of airplay on the major Christian radio station in LA because they said they were prophets and God had told them that there was gonna be a big earthquake in LA during the Olympics and that God's people needed to go out and buy all of these uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, resources and uh, and and uh, humanitarian stuff to be able to be a witness during that time. Well, a predicting an earthquake in Los Angeles got a pretty good shot of that that happening right off the bat. It's going to get over a hundred in summer in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, you're a prophet. But uh, when it didn't happen, this same couple was brought on the air by the uh, the fellow that had given him smear time. He was a personality named Rich Bueller. Uh, and Rich Bueller asked him point blank, well, your prophecy didn't come to pass. What does that make you guys? They said, well, so many people prayed, see, God stayed his hand and didn't bring the disaster. Uh. So, you know, when we, we see uh, the, the prophecies in, in the Bible, you know, granted, uh, the people of Nineveh prayed and repented and God didn't send a disaster. I did not see a massive turning to Christ by the citizens of Los Angeles during that time, right. so I don't really think that's parallel at all. Yeah. Uh, but but there's always some kind of out that they have, some mm. kind of way of, of sort of uh, softening the blow. You know, and, and so, you know, to me, uh, I believe that we shouldn't despise prophecies, but test all things and hold fast what is good. Uh, one of the ways that we don't despise prophecies is hold people accountable who do false prophecies. And I would say, if there's ever anything that in my mind would be a church disciplinary level infraction is to say, thus saith the Lord when the Lord had not said it. Thus not saith. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we even handle the word with humility, right? Even the, the printed word. Yeah. And, and, we and, wanna and, bring it in humble and, ways. And, and, and you know, we, we wanna have a balance. It's not like God can't speak. Yeah. He can't warn his people. He certainly does. The gift of prophecy, I don't believe, has passed, and I don't believe it will pass until we see the Lord face to face. But uh, you can go so far the other way where it was like, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to uh, go to uh, Bashes rather than Fry's because uh, I'd get a discount on the icy waters there this week. Hmm. I really don't think the Lord gives prophecies about icy waters. <laughs> I'd co color me skeptical yeah. <laughs> when I hear things like I know, that. It's good to be a good yeah, steward so, of, of your you coupons. Know, exactly. So, yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for that question um, from Hezekiah, yes, in Ukraine. 
A uh, question from Mike. Uh, evening, everyone. Evening to you as well. Uh, how can someone be sure they are seeking God with their whole heart correctly, with the right heart as opposed to religious works? How can someone be sure they truly desire God with their whole heart? Well, when you're in that kind of level of self-examination bordering on paranoia, oftentimes you're more focused on how you're doing the work than actually working. Yeah. And so nothing gets done, and you're just reduced to a self-conscious or, dare I say, even self-righteous mess. And why would I make a comparison? Because in that situation, you're analyzing yourself to see, am I good enough to please God? Am I doing this right? Am I fitting all of the criteria of someone who's actually being godly? And when you get into this level of basically holding up a mirror as you're giving, or I'll use the modern equivalent, uh, recording on your cell phone as you're giving to the poor to make sure it's with the right <laughs> intentions so that other people can examine you, yeah. the reality is you're not doing it with the right heart. Doing the work for its own sake, as the Spirit leads and equips you to, is a lot more spontaneous and straightforward than oftentimes we are in being able to notice it. And it's oftentimes made an observation, both in the messages and on the program, when the heavenly replay plays of our lives, oftentimes the things that we're likely to be rewarded for, the times where God was just doing something and we were along for the ride, we weren't even taking notes or paying attention or wondering, did I do that the right way? Obviously, um, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, but when your works are tested, that's going to be done by their primary audience. Was it you? Was it the people you were trying to please, yeah. or was it God who was working through you? Right. If it's the latter, and I mean the last latter, then that's going to be something that goes beyond your attention. The more attention you give to your intentions, if you follow the English language there, the more likely it is your pride's going to get mixed up in it. Just do what God's calling you to do today. Don't ask as many questions beyond the initial act, like, you know, I'm going to go to that strip club for Jesus. Okay, don't do that. <laughs> but if you have the opportunity to show God's heart, make it as simple and straightforward as possible, because that's oftentimes how God works, legitimately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I love the fact that you brought up uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Uh, you know, it, it's such a powerful passage, and uh, there are so many times you go, well, am I really sincerely a Christian? How do I know that I'm saved? And, and so on. But I love that passage where it says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is in you, lest you fail the test? Mm -hmm. Now, notice what we're to focus in on. It doesn't say, uh, examine myself and try to determine if I've done enough things for God to buy my conscience off uh, for another day? Uh, am am yeah. I looking at externals and so forth in uh, my, my daily planner as some way, or, or even my, my uh, bank book, as some way to justify myself before God? Mm -hmm. Now, you recognize that Jesus Christ is in you. Okay, How do we know for sure that Jesus is in you? Well, first of all, the promises of God. What did Jesus say? Whoever hears my words, and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He will not enter into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Do I believe that? Have I heard God's word, and have I believed it? Have I said, okay, uh, Jesus is a valid uh, object for my faith. He's a valid foundation for my life. Now, that, I think, is 90% of it, because uh, in the times where I've gone through my bouts of the doubts and gotten into spiritual tail chasing, it's all about me. 
And what I do for God or what I don't do for God or what I thought I did for God or maybe I did it for God, but my motives were off. But you see, there's one common denominator there, right? Me, myself, and I, (laughs) you know. Uh, The only way we're going to find any peace is to get my mind off of myself Mm -hmm. and put my trust again in the Lord. I love what Isaiah 26.3 says. You will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Right. Now, if I'm not experiencing perfect peace, one of two things are true. Either my mind's not stayed on God, or I'm not mm. trusting him. So if I'm focusing in on me mm. and what I'm doing or what I'm feeling, well, no wonder peace tends to evaporate like a puddle after a monsoon on a hot Arizona day. Uh, it's not going to last very long. Why? Because we're not a valid object for our faith, and God's not going to bless that mess. He's yeah. not going to say, okay. I want you to become proud and puffed up and put your faith and trust in all these wonderful religious works that you do. No, there's only one finished work that saves us, and that's the work of Jesus. So have I taken God up on the promises of God? Secondly, do I have a personal experience, and sometimes our feelings and sometimes our circumstances can kind of crowd out, crowd this out, but do I have this personal experience of the Spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I belong to him? Have I experienced that at any time in my life? You know, sometimes it's hard to experience that consistently because of circumstance, because yeah. of how we feel, because of our emotions, because of cer- you, know, you name it. But, uh, you know, have I experienced that? In, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 15, we, we are told we haven't received the spirit of fear leading to bondage, but the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are his children. So, you know, do we have that internal spiritual confirmation that we belong to the Lord? Uh, and, and then finally, do we see progression in our walk with God? You know, I, I love what uh, the book of Second Peter uh, chapter 1 says about all of this. If you really want to be sure of your salvation, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a really great piece of advice that we get here. In verse 5 of Second Peter chapter 1, Peter says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. For if these are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What things? Well, if you're in a growth pattern, you walk with God. Now, that pattern, more often than not, if we're honest about all of this, is three steps forward and two steps back. But do we see progress in Christ's likeness within our lives? And you go, well, what exactly does that look like? Here's what you focus in on. God's love. I- I- am I more in awe of God's love when I look up? Am I more appreciative of what Jesus did when he died for me on the cross? That's when he expressed the fullness of his love to us. And does that love come into my heart in such a way that it affects the way I deal with people on the horizontal? If I see those things, then I've got a pretty good idea that this ain't me. This is something God's doing in me. So those are three good checkpoints as far as whether you're really saved or not. Remember, the promises of God, progression in our walk with God, and that personal confirmation through the Holy Spirit that we belong to him. Yeah, good stuff. Mike, thank you. Hope that helps you out. Great question. Appreciate that. Uh, Question from Darling. What a darling name. 
Um, in uh, in Kings, she's referring to First Kings twenty-two verses uh, nineteen through twenty-three. I think in Kings is God using evil spirits for His glory, or is it God using good spirits to torment Saul? Um, Saul had been dead for almost a hundred years at the time of King Ahab. The evil spirits weren't tormenting Ahab. Saul was already dead. They were lying to him through the mouths of their false prophets. Micaiah was a true prophet that made the truth accessible. The controversy on that passage isn't that God's using evil things for his glory. It was that God would approve of someone being deceived. But we see even in the New Testament, this is how God judges sin. It's giving us over to the lie that we believe. In Romans chapter 1, we're told, therefore God gave them up to vile passions who did not like to glorify him as creator. They made little images. And so, as a result, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And note, God judges them by giving them over to that lie, and even notes how it expresses itself in their relationships. So, we look at the incident with Micaiah, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was not David, but he was a godly king. Ahab was not Saul, but he was an ungodly king. And in this situation, he was having his false prophets speak uh, victory of their upcoming tussle with the, I think it was the Syrian Empire? The Syrian. Yeah. Syrian, yeah. yeah. And uh, essentially, they just say, oh, yeah, you're going to do awesome. And Micaiah was asked for because Jehoshaphat still had a relationship with God. This was a, one of those rare instances where northern and southern Israel had an alliance, a common cause because of a common enemy. Jehoshaphat said, you got a prophet of the Lord, and Ahab, not putting, or I guess not recognizing he was the problem here, said, well, I do know one, but he never says anything good about me. Jehoshaphat's like, I don't care how you feel, bring him in. And he said, oh yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna have victory. And Ahab said, will you stop lying to me and telling me what I want to hear? And Micaiah, being a man after my own heart with no, no, uh, I guess, restrained sense of sass and snark, even in the face of a prison sentence, said that, okay, uh, here's your vision. Saw the Lord gathering together his assembly of spiritual beings. And uh, the Lord asked, who's going to put a lying word in the mouth of Ahab's prophets? And this spirit put forward his case, and he approved of it and sent him. It was, in its sense, Ahab being judged. So Micaiah said, you've bought into this, and you're not only going to buy their lies, but you're going to see the opposite. Ahab accused Micaiah of treason, threw him in prison, and says, when I get back, you're going to be executed. And once again, Micaiah, using sarcasm like a art form, said, if you come back, I'm not a prophet. So he's saying as directly as only one with sass can, you're going to die in this battle, thus yes. says the Lord. Now, the point of all that was what? That God had made truth accessible to Ahab through Micaiah, through Jehoshaphat. The lie was also made available to Ahab through his false prophets, which God permitted him to do. Why? Because not including, but certainly not limited to, the choice of influences he had in his life, i.e. Queen Jezebel. Yeah. <laughs> he was not, uh, I guess, considering his relationship with God a priority. And so God let him continue to hear from these false prophets, even handing him over to this debased mind. But as is God's always want to do. He made sure that truth was also accessible and acknowledgeable, but ultimately Ahab's false 
uh, I guess, uh, heart that loved deception, followed that old song and dance of lie to me, I promise I'll believe, if you get the song lyric. Yeah. So the point being made was that. Uh, wasn't Saul, if you have another question about First Samuel, when a distressing spirit from the Lord was given to him, you can do that at another time, we're running out of it, but that situation wasn't involving Saul, that was Ahab and Jehoshaphat, mm-hmm. and one very close to me, because again, I love Micaiah. Yeah. He's one of my old favorite Old Testament prophets. Oh, nice. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add to that? Well, it's just, it's so funny whenever that comes up, it's like, oh, God set him up. You know, this heavenly council was against Ahab and, and, and all of this. Uh, you know, it was a setup job. Yeah. Well, there's a fundamental flaw in that thinking. It would have been a setup job if all that had happened in heaven and they set, God sat there in heaven and said, watch what happened to this guy now. But this is a vision that God gave to this prophet. Mm. And Ahab had the opportunity to go, wow, maybe I shouldn't go into this battle at the advice of the prophets of Baal because they're lying to me. He could have, but he didn't, right? It was also for the benefit of Jehoshaphat, kind of God's way of saying, "Um, why are you hanging around with people who are my sworn enemies and idolaters? Shouldn't you like... Didn't you learn the last time, if you trust in me, everything's going to be okay? So, you know, that, that's what's going on here. Right. Some people say, oh, you know, God was really cagey or sneaky or, yeah. you know. But, no, he told him the whole thing. And it was a very vivid uh, portrait of how limited his capabilities were and that he could still turn to God, even at that late date. Right. Tell Got me. it. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Great questions today. We're back again same time tomorrow. If you stick around for another 30 minutes, we're going to go live with our Wednesday evening service. We're in the book of Ezekiel at the moment. So Pastor Scott here will be teaching. Learn how to stick together. Oh, (laughs) very nice. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you guys. Bye. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.